Last time on the Cellcast, the animated series. Did Kirk know about the giant Spock on Phylos? Wait a minute, there was a giant Spock. <laughs> this reference is an episode of the animated series oh. called The Infinite Vulcan. The giant Spock was a huge Spock clone named Spock 2. Original. It is the animated series. <laughs> there, was, I, there was some I, slight confusion here. I was over here giggling. Yes. The entire time, because every time I, that giggle fit would would start to die back down, they'd say something else that would start it back up. True. He was giggling the entire time. And well, it's, they got to pick out which type of uh, chair they should put in the conference room, because I mean, you know how saw how big that argument was a couple episodes ago. That is true. That is very, very true. Uh, Maybe fact- it'll have rich Corinthian leather. <laughs> And if if you don't give, except them, they didn't have giant eel tank. Yeah, exactly. So if you if you don't give them the answer you they want, they're going to drop you in an eel tank. He's floating through space with no idea what's happening, and he but he does ask, "How on earth am I standing in space?" And he knocks on the thing. It's like, "Oh, I'm standing on a cloaked Romulan warbird." Okay, what? <laughs> yeah, there's and then randomly, he's a, he wakes up in the middle of a Gorn wedding. It's like, like, what does that have to do with anything? But then I love how he shuts off, comes back up, and you think, okay, he must be passed out. Nope, they're still chewing on him. (laughs) That is funny. Those Klingon fonts must not take long at all. Nope. (laughs) Ray. Okay. This progress is a part of Christian Reek Central Network. Hey, Scoop. What are you doing, man? I don't know. I'm supposed to be ringing Ed. <laughs> All right. Hold on. Give me give me it. Okay. <laughs> All right. This podcast is part of the Christian Geek Central Network at ChristianGeekCentral.com. Cartoons. The Animated Frontier. These are the voyages of the Cellcast podcast. It's continuing mission to explore strange new cartoons. To seek out new animation styles, and new creative storytelling methods to boldly go where so few ever go again. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Cellcast, the animated series. Joining me today is a man who's really into lens flares, Jacob. Hey, they're dramatic. That's all I can say. A little too dramatic. Eh, why thank you. I'd like to introduce our co-host, a man who thought he could escape through a, uh, a photon torpedo. <laughs> welcome, Drew. I had a joke and I lost it. <laughs> You're welcome. Okay, sorry. Of all the souls in my travels, his was the most human. That does not even funny. <laughs> Never mind, I'm not going to do that. How are you doing, Jacob? Uh, mine is getting over a little heartburn a little earlier. I'm great. Today we are reviewing Star Trek Lower Decks Season 1, Episode 9, Crisis Point. The Rise of Vindictus. No, that's not the full episode. But, yet, but that's what I'm calling it. Uh, in this episode, Mariner repurposes Boimler's holodeck program to cast herself as a villain in this Lower Decks style movie. So getting into some of the Easter eggs, the biggest one I want to point out before we get the television series one, I want to point out before we get into all the movie references in this one. Yeah. 
is the fact that uh, Doc, uh, Reginald Barkley in an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation using his uh, he was doing this, pretty much doing the same thing Boimler did and creating a holodeck characters based on uh, the crew members. Yeah. Barkley did this in uh, an episode of The Next Generation we remember the name of right now. Yeah. He got in trouble for this. I can imagine. I'm waiting for Boimler to get in trouble for this. Uh, the lizard aliens that Mariner is trying to liberate seem to be oppressed by an alien that looks suspiciously like the Antican in the Next Generation episode, Lonely Among Us. Mariner complains that she doesn't need therapy because this is the 80s. In reality, she is right. Lower Decks does te- technically take place in 2380 when you calculate out the uh, oh, okay. star dates correctly. I gotcha. <laughs> and, beca- and the funny part is, since it's the 80s, she doesn't need therapy. In our 80s, everyone needed therapy. It still need therapy. That's why there was a counselor on the ship in the first place. Also, Mariner's therapist is Paul F. Tompkins, who you might remember. He is Shorty. Hey. And he's Shorty in the uh, series also. Double hey. More on that in February. Yeah. Uh, we have a appearance of Da Vinci on the holodeck. Shooting skeet, <laughs> of all things. <laughs> Uh, da Vinci's appearance, uh, Da Vinci originally made an appearance on Star Trek Voyager, played by none other than Jonathan Rhys Davies. Okay. No, uh... Oh! Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. And, uh, someone on, and the main guy on Sliders, too, remember? Oh, okay. Uh, he was also, uh, the, uh, but based on some of the movie, weird movie references... A lot of them? Da Vinci was originally a possible character in a script that never got developed called Star Trek Renaissance, which was essentially going to be Star Trek First Contact. Huh. Like it changed into Star's Contact. Okay. Basic concept of time travel back into history. I gotcha. That the Borg are somehow assimilating everybody at a point. People to offer resistance. And they turned it into First Contact, so that way they did historical accuracy. Right. Among other things. it was Apparently, it was a really script. Yeah. Uh, Data would have... Tra- oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Data would have traveled back in time to be... Interesting. Yeah. Uh, the opening credits of the movie por- portion of this episode are reminiscent of Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan, with the warping streaks behind the letters, recalling... were also briefly used in Star Trek The Next Generation during Season 5, and are also a call-out to Superman in 1978. True. The music, though, is just a slightly modified version with a more of a Lower decks theme flair to the con. Yes. I could tell that easily. Uh, Mariner calls Boimler a kind of a, kind of a Zahn, uh, which might be... which, uh, And then he might not make the final cut. Do you know this reference? No, I don't. So, way back in the 19... 19- 70s there was well really after star trek the animated series went off the air yeah uh they went back and forth on how they were going to bring star trek back because star trek was in the popular conscious at this the reasons it got canceled were because it was put in a really weird place but then when it got because it was just long enough to be put into uh syndication syndication yes thank you uh it got super popular with the people who could actually watch it who yeah would care so that's why they made the animated series. So when that went off there, they wanted to bring it back. So it went back and forth a number of times between the film, Paramount's film division and their TV division, mm-hmm. eventually settling into the television division mm. for a while. But Leonard Nimoy was not willing to come back. 
So in order to replace his character, uh, they had hired an actor by the name of David Gautreaux, who would play a Vulcan character named Zahn. Oh, okay. Everything was going good to the point where they were making, actually writers were submitting scripts when a small little movie you may not have heard of, this little indie venture. Yeah. That uh, 20th Century Fox was nice enough to put out be called yeah. Star Wars Happened. Yeah, yeah just a little and bit. everybody, every film company was like, okay, what are we going to do in order to answer this? Because these are popular. We need to make money. Mm-hmm. And someone at Paramount said, well, we've got that Star Trek show that's over development. says, okay, put that on hold. Let's go talk to them. The sh- what the one of the scripts they're working on that Gene Roddenberry wrote mm-hmm. is was modified and became Star Trek the motion picture. Oh, okay, which you can kind of tell it's about an it's about an hour long story with forty minutes of work. Yeah, more on that in a minute. But one of the changes that happened to me because Leonard Nimoy decided to come back for a movie mm-hmm. was that the character of Zahn got ditched. Ah, uh, that seventy series is pretty much known as Star Trek Face, which was essentially its working title. It would have probably just been called Star Trek when it came back. I gotcha. Uh, but he did actually appear in Star Trek The Motion Picture, uh, David Gautreau, as Commander Brant. Hmm. I don't know who Commander Branch is. Okay. But just pointing that out. Um, at one point, Boimler says that in a real episode, if, if it was really happening, that's in the Enterprise, but you know, artistic license. <laughs> this is pretty much the reason, this is, this is the pretty much explanation as to why the Enterprise seems to be the only ship that can do anything in these movies. Mm-hmm. At one point, being called, many times saying that they're the only ship in the quadrant. Yeah. Do you know how big a quadrant is? No, not really. One quarter of the galaxy. Wow. In okay. order for the Enterprise to be the only ship in the quadrant, either... And at one, one time I'm noticing this is in uh, Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Mm-hmm. They're over in Beta Quadrant, where the Klingons and the Romulans are hanging out. So that means all the other ships besides Excelsior and Enterprise are hanging out over in the Alpha Quadrant. Because they can't go to the Gamma or Delta Quadrants at that point in the show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're all just over there. They apparently can't get over here. <laughs> it's a weird mention, but yeah. the Enterprise always seems to be in the middle of all this stuff because of artistic license. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, Star Trek... Uh, Generations, the Enterprise B happens despite being on its uh, maiden voyage and going through a test flight. Essentially, okay, was the only ship in range to help uh, Alorian ships. Is another mint time when the Enterprise was the only ship that could help. Oh, okay, this is the one uh, you, you you never watched uh, Ferris Bueller, so you wouldn't know who nope. I was talking about if I said Cameron. Nope. Uh, the long approach via shuttlecraft is a reference to. Mm-hmm. Star Trek the Motion Picture. Now, yeah. a, m- a mention about Star Trek the Motion Picture. Their idea was not to create a Star Wars style film for a motion picture. Yeah. It was to create a 2001 style film. Mm-hmm. So that's why there's lots of music and lots of these long shots. And uh-huh. one of those is all these beauty shots coming up on the Enterprise. Now, I will say, I have gotten to see motion picture in a movie theater. Yeah. It works in a movie theater. Mm-hmm. At least it did to me. TV, on television. <laughs> can imagine. But this one, it just had both of us cracking up because we knew what they were doing. Uh, there's a couple other times. Uh, the uh, shit, the shot of them going to warp at the beginning. Yeah. 
that is referenced not just in all the movies, in many ways how the movie ends or how the, the Enterprise will finally take off, but it's also been done in uh, all, nearly every, like, okay, the opening sequence of every show after this, mm-hmm. and actually the original series, also includes this long shot of the Enterprise going to warp, or in the case of uh, Voyager, Voyager going to warp, mm-hmm. and in Discovery... Does not have ship shots. Never mind. Um, All Good Things, the series finale of Next Generation, did feature the Enterprise D doing this as its final shot. Mm. And these are the voyages. The series finale of Enterprise featured the Enterprise D doing this, the original Enterprise doing this, and the NX-01 Enterprise doing this in the final shots. Or really, it's kind of a... We, you see the Enterprise D, and then it kind of shifts. The camera shifts down to the original Enterprise, and then it shifts to NX-01 Garp. Oh, okay. So it's because that was kind of the it was, it, it was that episode is very much like this is the end of Star Trek. We're going out with as much of a bang as we can go out on. I gotcha. Thankfully, that ended up not being the case. In 2009, another Star Trek film came out made by J.J. <laughs> Abrams. Yeah, which is an amazing film. I would actually agree. It's actually in my top four Mm -hmm. Star Trek films. I'd say pretty good. Yeah. Um, I would say so. When six, two, and I think first contact technically are just above it. And they're all very, all four of these are very close. Yeah. In my opinion. But, uh, JJ was known for one thing among Star Trek fans, Uh especially when this movie came out. And that was the abundance of lens fair players on the bridge. And they do the same thing here. Well, technically, they do it with the uh, when you are well, so you're all- circling the uh, the ship. They start it there, but the lens flares on the bridge and the oh, darker yeah, colors uh, of the oh, screen yeah. over the top. It's like you get there, it's like okay, you're just channeling JJ for this scene. Um, there's one point where Captain right before they go to warp, Captain Freeman says, "Warp me." This references her workshopping a catchphrase in an earlier ep- in the earlier episode of Lower Decks called uh, Envoys. Okay. When she was looking for uh, something cool to say when she, when it went to warp, and yeah. that one she was suggesting maybe it's warp time. It's warp time. Uh, the movie warp special effect is pretty much taken from Star Trek Into Darkness, but also includes the rainbow warp speed effect from Star Trek The Motion Picture. Huh. Okay. I have to watch that scene again to catch some of that. Yeah. If they got both in the same shot. Great, <laughs> but I just thought it was a little too close for that. Um, at one point, Vindicta, which is being played by Mariner in this right. holodeck, um, starts quoting The Tempest. Mm-hmm. Specifically saying, uh, our revels now are ended, and a couple other things. Uh, she is also quoting General Chang, played by Christopher Plummer in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, who quoted... Uh, Shakespeare and Hamlet and Hamlet throughout the entire film. Mm-hmm. In fact, that film's title is a reference to Shakespeare. Mm. Uh, Mariner's super destructive phaser that she uses on as Vindicta. Uh, the vaporizing effects ca- are used in the Next Generation episode as loud as a whisper. Jax, the Bajoran uh, weapons officer. Yeah says the following phrase in this sh- in this episode when you get to hell tell the paw wraiths that jack sent you special delivery from bajor <laughs> okay. i have to explain yes you have that. to i was so confused so, when it happened 
the paw wraiths in Bajoran religion are essentially demons and devils and such, mm. uh, which are in our opposite from the prophets, which were the wormhole aliens that claimed that Cisco was the emissary. Mm. So him claiming tell the paw pa, tell the paw wraiths Jack sent you is essentially like tell the devil so and so sent you. I gotcha. Special delivery from Bajor. <laughs> He's essentially channeling action movies. It's his one-liner. Yeah, I gathered. Um, Tendi pushes back against the stereotype that all Orions are privates and slaver- pirates and slavers. This is a reference to pretty much all Orions, starting in the original series episode and first pilot, The Cage. We also saw In Whom Gods Destroy. In the animated series episode, The Pirates of Orion, it wasn't until the ep- Enterprise episode, Bound, where it's revealed that Orion slaves are actually manipulating their masters to create an illusion of who has the real power. In other words, the Orion slave girls, yeah. the sexy, mm-hmm. sexy dressed, they're the ones who are actually in control while the their quote-unquote masters, the men, yeah. are the ones under their control. Ah. Uh, it was not until Star Trek 2009 when we would see an Orion in the movies um uh, with Uhura's roommate, Gallia, mm-hmm. whom uh, Kirk was having a good having time, time with. with. Yes. yes. Uh, and we would not see... Uh, and in the Short Treks episode, The Escape Artist, we get the feeling that... We get a general idea that every aspect of Orion society is connected to crime and pirating. Tindy points out that this isn't true, and that some pir- Orions haven't been pirates for... Over five years. Mm-hmm. That's not a long time. No. I think that sum is her. Yeah, she does say that at the very end. Yes. Uh, when the Cerritos burns up in the atmosphere of the planet, this, the effect is the similar aspect to the Enterprise in Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. But when the uh, saucer crashes on the planet's surface, this references the saucer crash of the Enterprise-D in Star Trek Generations. Yes. The Enterprise's saucer also crashes on the surface of a planet in Star Trek Beyond. Mm-hmm. Rutherford says he uses a, used a rapid repeating transport sequence to beam the entire crew to safety. And Billups says that is utterly confused as to how this is possible. To which Rutherford replies... Uh, no, it's a movie. You can beam whatever you you can beam whatever. You can do all sorts of beaming stuff in movie. This is a reference <laughs> to the fact that uh, in Star Trek Generations, Scotty is able to beam up forty seven people off of one ship with a touch of one button. And in Star Trek two thousand nine, Spock helps Kirk and Scotty beam from a planet onto a moving ship traveling at warp far farther than they ought to be able to get. Plus, uh, in Star Trek Into Darkness. Somehow transporting from Earth to, I'm going to at least be nice enough to say the Klingon neutral zone, considering if that is actually how they, if that was supposed to be the Klingon home world, they spelled the name wrong. Pardon me. (laughs) Uh, But at the same time, that is like, that would be the equivalent of taking a car from where we are in Texas to New York City and getting there in about half an hour. This is why I have this problem with the beaming in that episode in that movie. Gotcha. And Beyond has more of this because JJ apparently didn't bother to study the distance when he made these shows. Minus JJ um, Ambrose didn't do Beyond. He was a he was he was a, I know he was not involved. He was he was an executive producer, producer because he was too busy on Star Wars at the time. Mm-hmm. 
But let's face it, he was there for Into Darkness and for uh, 2009, and so he did not study beaming! Excuse me. <laughs> Bitter much. Uh, Scotty converted a cargo transporter... Uh, yeah. Scotty converted a Klingon cargo transporter also in Star Trek for the Voyage Home to beam up humpback whales and the water. Yeah. 4,000 tons. Mm-hmm. Which Scotty said he'd never beamed before, but somehow they were able to do it. That must be a really good cargo transporter yeah. on this Klingon rust bucket. <laughs> a holographic Mariner's battle cry against Vindicta is not a track reference. The line is, get away, uh, get oh, off my yes. mom, you... <laughs> which is actually a reference to the movie Alien in which Ripley says get away from her you and I'm sorry also, I don't like to cuss yeah also it's a reference from uh, Harry Potter and Deathly Hallows <laughs> get away from my daughter you alright uh, Mariner apparently dressed as a character named Toby the Targ when she was a kid for Halloween a Targ is a type of Klingon pet that looks like a dog crossed with a pig hmm the educational character of Toby the Targ comes from Voyager, in which Belana Torres owned a plush Toby the Targ, and the Doctor was familiar with the publisher of the Toby the Targ stories, Brought and Forrester. Mm. The rickety catwalk that Mariner is, has an obsession with <laughs> in this is a reference to Star Trek Generations, in which Kirk and Picard fight Dr. Soren on a series of these rickety catwalks, mm-hmm. only for Kirk to get killed underneath one and as uh, everything goes to crap. Mm-hmm. Thomas Riker, Will Riker's transporter duplicate, right. also had a big confrontation on a rickety catwalk in the Next Generation episode, Second Chances. Uh, Boimler absentmindedly asks Captain Freeman if she likes turtlenecks or just standard uniforms. This seems to indicate that the DS9-style turtleneck uniform might still be in service in some parts of Starfleet in 2380. Either that, or Boimler is just wishing these uniforms could make a comeback. Mariner being buried in rocks is a reference to the ending of Star Trek Generations, where Picard buries Kirk the exact same way. Uh, Vindicta's Return references the ending of The Wrath of Khan, which shows that Spock's casket landed on the Genesis planet. Perfectly fine. During the filming of The Wrath of Khan, this scene was actually filmed at the very last minute Mm -hmm. and uh, was overseen by Robert Sound because director Nicholas Meyer was opposed to hinting that Spock was still alive. In other words, the photon torpedo casket was a small retcon inside of Rathacon, which is why it's fitting to have it in the coda of this episode. Just when you think it's over, somebody's going to rise from the dead. I should point out that the other reason the hinting of Spock in that movie might have been, might still be alive somehow yeah. was because Spock had it written into his contract for the moves for Rathacon that Spock would die mm-hmm. because... Leonard Nimoy was tired of playing Spock. At yeah. Around this time, he had released his uh, autobiography, autobiography called I Am Not Spock. Mm-hmm. But near the end of filming for the movie, he started having a change of heart. Right. And ta- went and talked with the director, and, and they said, okay, here's what you do. Go up to Bones. Do the when you, After you give him the Vulcan nerve pinch... Put uh, do like a Vulcan mime and just say remember, and we'll use that as maybe a jumping off point. Later. Right, and that's what they did. And so the end of Star Trek Two, of course, shows that the photon torpedo casket that yeah. he was launched in somehow soft landed on the Genesis planet. Right, and then the exact scene was copied. Well, it was just copy and pasted into the beginning of Star Trek Three, mm-hmm. in which the director did not did not like the ending originally. It'd be yeah. like. 
Yeah, he actually hated the idea. Uh, yeah, he and, hated it. And Nicholas Meyer hated the idea because he was like, no, we don't need this. Leonard Nimoy apparently loved it. That's why he used it at the beginning of Star Trek III, mm-hmm. since he was a director for both three and four. Yeah. The signatures at the end are references to the end of Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, and would go on to be used as the ending of Avengers Endgame, probably because Marvel president Kevin Feige is a self-professed Star Trek fan. I knew that. <laughs> and that brings us to the end of this these uh, Easter eggs. So since I have talked entirely too long, Jacob, your I- thoughts on Crisis Point, The Rise of Vindicta. <laughs> Oh, I love this episode. I mean, like, if you were to watch a live reaction, if we were able to do that, that would be hilarious because we were both laughing our heads off. Oh, yes. Especially the last five minutes. Oh, yes. Thing. Yes. Oh, my word. The 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 fact that Mariner is needing therapy because she's losing it, apparently. Yes. Therapy works. Yeah, therapy works. I mean, like, believe me, therapy works a lot. Um just quoting her from the movie. Oh, yeah. But, you know, I'm kind of agreeing with her. Yes, there it yeah. works. Um, so, oh, gosh. So, she she hijacks poor Bormler's simulation <laughs> makes a movie out of it. Yes. And, oh, my word. Just the, 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 the references over and over and over and over again. The, the glamour shots. The, mm-hmm. the big high-definition shots. And it's like. Okay, you're going overboard. Okay, this is that's getting funny. Po- but that's the point. It's get, it's getting to hysterical and hilarious at the same time. It was great. Um, the the fact that uh, Mariner is so obsessed with, I'm going to take out the captain. Yes. And then Mariner herself comes into yes. the play. Holographic Mariner. Holographic Mariner. And uh, this the fact would be like, you get more into Mariner's head. That it's be like this is Mariner how she perceives things and it's mm-hmm. how she really how she really feels about things and so you get that more dynamic with who she is yes and uh, you it starts to that her and her mother the captain uh, have a a unique relationship and it's the fact that her mother pushes so so hard and is so strict on her mm-hmm. be like and I I guess that's more why the why the tension that's obviously why the tension is there. Yeah, and uh, the the ending of this is hysterical, where Bormler goes back to the holodeck. Yes, <laughs> and then goes and finds out the big secret. Finds out the big secret that I honestly did not realize he didn't know. Yeah, I thought he knew. I thought all four of them were aware of this. Yeah, apparently but not. Apparently, I, I guess Mariner really is the only one because a I can't see Tendi knowing. Rutherford's going to be too is too wor- worked up about. The ship, yeah, and being an engineer to notice things, I thought as much as Boimler hung out with her, he would know. But apparently, they're both keeping this a secret. Apparently, apparently, it makes me wonder how much of the senior staff know their sis. No, this if if this is true, because all this is supposed to be super accurate to how they really are. Yeah, no one on the ship knows who that Mariner and Freeman yeah. are, mother and daughter. Yeah, so it's like, oh. Okay, <laughs> that's just int- that's an interesting setup for the series finale. Yeah, it's not series, the season finale. Yeah, season finale. So, it's, so I'm curious because how Bormler, because Bormler's kind of guy, he doesn't, he's not necessarily the kind of guy who holds secrets very well. No, he's not. And so I wonder how this is gonna spill out. Be like, 
obviously because in the uh, the trailer to he 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 tells Mariner he, that he tells knows. Mariner this. So how is the captain going to learn about this? <laughs> right, and how is the secret going to eventually get spilled to the rest of the ship? Yeah, I will say uh, I do love that also. But one of the other things I love that's kind of a very subtle, uh, cons- a very subtle thing that they did in this. Mm-hmm. When Tendi walks out of the holodeck, yeah. she is, of course, wearing a costume from when she, or, the Orion Slave Queen. Yeah. Pirate. Um, pirate. <laughs> but she's covered in what would assume to be holographic Jax's blood. Yeah. When she walks out and is in the corridor, while she's still in her pirate queen uh-huh. costume. Yeah, the blood's gone. The blood disappeared. And you can just hear very faintly in the background the sound effect of the hologram uh dissipating mm. right before she turns around it's like you did it right everyone <laughs> screws us up and they can never do this in the show correctly thank you you did it right <laughs> i'm mostly pointing out i'm so annoyed in star trek uh next generation uh encounter at farpoint where they point out the fact that when they when they came out of the holodeck wesley crusher's dripping wet because he fell in the lake right and technically, if that water is holographic, the, the water should not have come out of there. True. And yet, a point out is like, maybe I should go get something to clean this up. And Picard says, good idea. I'm thinking, this is the start of a beat. It's just, I love that they actually went ahead and did what they were supposed to do. Right. And it worked so well. In fact, a part, part of me goes, okay, get rid of it. It's like, oh, she turned it, she's gone. Okay, cool. That actually works. And then they did the sound effect. Like, oh, good. They're actually thinking about this correctly. They didn't just <laughs> do the thing to be nice. And I don't know. The, the And the other cool thing I thought, yeah, as a reference to something else, not that I've seen anybody uh, point this out, the, uh, what do you call it? The Rutherford's holographic hologram persona. Yeah. He's got uh, an, a tattoo on his left arm. Yeah. That is a skull, which reminds me of another <laughs> African-American cyborg character from a video game who actually was just came out, uh, uh, the re- its remake came out earlier this year, Final Fantasy VII, because he reminded me a lot of Barrett. Yeah, he did. Except he's not Barrett because <laughs> Rutherford is too kind and too sweet to actually be Barrett. Well, Barrett can't be kind, when he needs to be. can be, but he's also got that rough edge that yeah. Rutherford does not. <laughs> I, I love that his character kind of comes off be like his character in the movie is supposed to be like this tough, tough yes. as nails character, but then he just he jumps back into his normal his uh okie dokie okie dokie let's do this. He's <laughs> like, wait, you mean I can go tell my boss anything I want and not no repercussions? I'm going to go find them. And they goes and they get everyone out and the warp core is going to, they think is going to breach any second. They're the only two. And there's this, I have one thing I've wanted to say to you for years. I just love your work. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like your poker face is terrible, man. Just yes. saying. <laughs> Indeed. Mm. This episode is just so much fun. There's a lot. As much as this is actually finally pointing out things about Mariner's character that I'm yeah. finally glad they're pointing out. Yeah. Such as the fact that, like I've said, she's she enjoys working with, on the crew. Yeah. She 
she's the one making herself the villain. Yeah. No one else is doing this to her. Yeah, I, I love that aspect. Yeah. Of it. And it's, it does kind of put to rest my fan theory that I've been spouting this whole time about mm-hmm. she's disillusioned in Starfleet and maybe she still is and that's why she's acting this way. But it's extent. all her. Yeah. She's the one doing this to herself. No one else is painting her in this light. Yeah. So I appreciate that. I appreciate Boimler uh, getting so much... Uh, Boimler trying to get this raise, or this promotion he's been trying yeah. to get this whole time, and is still trying to use the program he made with her modifications to find stuff out. And he does, only for them to think, he's an assassin because he brought chocolate cookies. Yes. like Because the captain's allergic. allergic. It's like, you know, you could have just asked your... Oh, no, he wouldn't know. He, he At that point in the episode... No, by that point, he did know. Yeah. No, he didn't. No. Because the cookies was before he went back in to ask about... Uh, no, it was uh, after. Uh, something. It was after. And that's when he found out that Mariner and her yeah. mother and daughter. Yeah. The cookies was before that because it was before the simulation initially ended because that's when he got thrown off the cliff. That... I expected that guy... Uh, Jet, is that his name? Yeah. Half expected to go... I have had enough of you <laughs> from Star Trek three. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's, this is just a fun episode. There's it a was. lot of nice, interesting story points that mm-hmm. they brought in here. So this is not just a complete write off episode. Mm-hmm. In fact, I want to say kudos to the show for not having complete write off episodes. Part of that's because they only do have 10 episodes to work with. So they are having to be tight with their scripting. Yeah. But this has just been done so so well and I'm enjoying it so far and I'm looking for next week. Anything yeah. else to add? Uh <laughs> I enjoyed it tremendously. Mm-hmm. Tremendously. That was so much fun. The uh, the movie references, the 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 big it's like Bormler discovers the big secret that which we all knew. But since episode one. Since episode one. But like I said before, it's gonna be very interesting how they're gonna tie up season one. Oh yeah. But yeah, that's all I got. All right. Well, they have, as of this recording, they have not announced the name of episode 10, but join us next time for that episode. And as we tie this up and then maybe we'll have another idea for something to bring to you later on before, uh, for the end of the year, we haven't decided on scheduling on that yet, but yep. Join us then. Yep. All right. Thanks guys. Come, Jacob. We must prepare for next week. Prepare for what, Drew? Same thing we do every week, Jacob. Record a podcast! Oh, boy! So where can they find you, Jacob? They can find me on Facebook at Jacob B. Heron and Jacob's Daily Art Corner, my personal art Facebook page. On Twitter at Jacob B. Heron. On Instagram at Jacob B. Heron. And on Letterboxd at Jacob Heron. Where can they find you, Drew? Uh, you can find me on Facebook at Drew Dodgen. You can also find my Facebook page at Drew's Photo Bin, where I upload uh, my photography. You can also follow me on Letterboxd at GGeorge759 and Twitter at GGeorge759. Where can they find us, Jacob? You can also visit our website, thecellcast.podbean.com, where you will find every episode we released and links to listen to it on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher, our RSS feed. If we aren't in your favorite podcast app directory, please share, review, and subscribe to us there and share us with your friends. You will also find a link to our Facebook group, the Double Feature Podcast Community, 
where we talk about both animated and live-action movies. We share this with our other podcasts, which we do with Jacob's brother Jim, at uh, the Movie of the Week podcast, where we talk about live-action movies. You can also email us at thecellcastpodcast at gmail.com. Also, please like our page on Facebook. We try to post about upcoming movies. If you comment on that movie's post before we record, we'll read your comments in the episode. And remember, every time we say The Cellcast, that is with a single L. L.